RP3 is ready to step his game up and grab the mic for the latest edition of the Rap Game Podcast. Here is Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. The month of April is about to be in the books, and the month of May will be here, and Major League Baseball is in full swing. And for many of us that grew up diehard baseball fans, this is the best time of the year. We still have hope that our team will not let us down. To talk about the love of the game, the Houston Astros, and so much more, we're going to welcome on to the Rap Game Podcast, the man who's one half of the Lima Time Time podcast. He's also a contributor to the Houston Chronicle. I believe they made a mistake there. I'm not for sure what they're doing there. It's my good friend, the one and only James Yasko. James, good day to you, sir. They definitely made a mistake, and I'm going to let them keep sending me money. (laughs) As as you should. If they want to continue sending you money, you will continue taking it. All right, bud. um, Before we get into when we first fell in love with uh, the game and everything like that, uh, how you feeling right now as the calendar's about to turn to May about your Strohs? They seemingly turned things around. They apparently just needed to play uh, the Los Angeles County Credit Union Poncena Bowl Angels and then, of course, April's early champions, the one and only Seattle Mariners. Yeah, no, I mean, it's amazing what happens to your lineup when you get guys like Alex Bregman and Jose Altuve back and Jordan Alvarez, although he's going to be out for a little bit, it seems. Um, and so, you know, I joked around on Twitter that the whole, like, basically sending four members of your starting lineup into quarantine for 10 days, it sure did feel like that 10-game penalty that people were calling for in the wake of the sign-stealing scandal uh, last year. And so... You know, they, they predictably lost, you know, most of those games. And, and now that everyone's back, uh, the, then they seem to be winning them. So I, it's trending in the right direction. I did not expect them to be at 500, you know, come, you know, or, or hovering around 500 at the end of April. But what are you going to do? What are you going to do besides bribe whoever's playing Orbit to start stealing signs again and make you guys even uh, to the next level? Can, can we Can we talk about that? Because I make fun of it all the time. And I make fun of it for people who are upset by it. And and here's my logic. I remember being a kid and parents parking behind the fence line, (laughs) flashing their lights, trying to help to distract the batters or trying to let them know what pitch was coming. I've I've been around the game my entire life at every level, T-ball, little league, high school, junior high. I've covered softball, baseball, high school, college, it's part of the game, and people go, well, well, it shouldn't be. It's in the integrity of the game. And I go, guys, it's this has been part of baseball for hundred more than 100 years. Why did everyone get so bent out of shape about Houston doing it when New York was uh, been reported on doing it, when Boston got busted for doing it? I don't understand all the hullabaloo about the trash can and the stealing the signs. So it all came from the teams that the Astros beat. I mean, you know, and, and I'll give I – I won't give the Red Sox much credit. Um, 2004 was fun. I appreciated that. But, you know, the the, the, the loudest screaming were from the Yankees and, and the Dodgers. Uh, and even before, you know, the 2019 postseason started, you know, there were, there were articles being written about how if you go into the Dodgers film room, it looks like there's a small army of, like, nerds and J. Crew and khakis, you know, that are, that are looking at – looking at catcher signs um and so it's it's the teams and, and you can understand i mean nobody from the orioles was like they cheated us out of five wins, <laughs> uh, or or whatever uh and so i guess it's easy to feel hard done by and when you have a story like that that drops in your lap about what the astros were doing in 2017 it automatically makes you feel better about yourself because now you can you can tell yourself oh I didn't screw up and lose that game. Uh, it's because they were cheating. And so you can sort of talk yourself in, even if you were doing it too, you can talk yourself into feeling like like the, the Astros are the worst thing to happen to the to baseball since the 1919 White Sox. And and you can, you can just sort of go through the mental gymnastics of absolving your own failure uh, and saying, oh, no, these guys were dirty. Well, here's look. Here's here's my just fundamental issue. I, I, I let's say let's say I get on board with well, you know, the ceiling signs is, is bad. Okay, let, let's say I get on board with that. 
Okay, I'm on board now. My problem is for the Dodgers, who were the biggest whiners about this, it, it, correct me if I'm wrong, the games the Dodgers lost, the majority of the games they lost in that uh, World Series against the Astros were held in the ravine, right? They were held in Los Angeles, not in Houston, where the Astros had the trash cans a-working. Correct. That's right. No, they won Game 2 and Game 7. There we go. Okay. There we go. Okay. I was just checking. I was just making sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, this is this is a team and a fan base that is they're they're the worst kind of person that is just looking for a they're looking for a reason to explain why they didn't win that day. Like I, I honestly believe there are Dodgers fans that are pissed that they're not twenty three and zero or or whatever, however many games they play. They've all been against the Padres. I don't know. You ever like? Do you remember the bottom line on ESPN? Yes, of course. And and the, the they have the, the college basketball ticker at the bottom. I swear, Iona plays Siena six nights out of the week. Like that's like every time I look up, oh, Iona and Siena are, are playing each other. That's the Dodgers and Padres. Like every game, like I'm sure we're we're a week away from from Manfred like flexing Dodgers Padres every night until October, and then that's just going to be the NLCS. It's look, look. I'd rather have that. First of all, it's wildly and tearing. Tatis is a great young talent, and we need more of those type of players in in the league to make it more dynamic. Plus, I'd rather have Dodgers-Padres be the marquee game than damn Red Sox-Yankees that we've had to endure for 20 years. So I had a chance to go to, to old, it was, it was the, I think it was the last season of, of old Yankee Stadium. Oh, that'd be uh, cool. I, okay. I can't, I've, I've been to Fenway once, and I've been to Yankee Stadium once, and it was both Dodgers-Red Sox. And and so you know I I did not look at who the starting pitchers were. It's July fourth. I remember that. And we went with my my wife's brother and his wife. And and we show up for this game. Uh, and it's and the starting pitchers are Daryl Rasner and Josh Beckett. And and then there was a rain delay. And Josh Beckett's like a human rain delay because he would take so long between pitches. And then Daryl Rasner sucked. Like we were there five and a half hours. And it started raining, and it was in the sixth. And we we're like, "Let's go!" Like, I, we, 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 no, we're we're done. I've seen enough. I've seen enough Yankees, Red Sox, right now. So yeah, no, I'm glad that that the attention's been taken away from from that slog of of a Sunday night tradition. By the way, is it wrong that the only thing that I remember about Josh Beckett is that he dated Leanne Tweeden? Is that is that? I mean, that's the first thing I thought of. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I I remember that that he. Oh, I got to decide how, 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 how much. Uh, oh, the podcast, the podcast is taking a turn. Here we go. I, uh, I used to work at the baseball hall of fame. Oh, wow. And, uh, for, for three years, I, I worked at the baseball hall of fame. I was the manager of visitor education. And one of so time out, time out. How am I just now finding out that you, James Yasko, who's been coming on my radio show for now two plus years, that you actually worked in Cooperstown? Yeah, no. When my, I I lived, my wife and I had been married uh, a, a couple of years, and when when we got married, you know, she's like, "Where do you think we'll live?" And I'm like, "We'll never leave Texas unless unless I get a job at the Baseball Hall of Fame." Uh, and then, and then it happened. And, and so we, we didn't have, you know, a kid at the time. And we're like, if we're ever just going to pick up and move across the country, let's do it. So from, uh, yeah. So 2006 to 2009, I was in Cooperstown. Man, that is, we're, we're going to come back to that. We're going to put a pin in that. But you had, you, you, you you were making a joke about me saying the only thing that I remember about Josh Beckett was that he dated Leanne Tweeden. So yeah, no, he's, uh, he's, he's from Houston. Uh, the Houston area, but uh, I, I, there was a, a an employee of the Hall of Fame that that is at every single playoff game. You know, in case something happens, they can have a represent. I was never that. I was never that employee. Um, but they'd have someone that could request an item to put in collections or put on display or whatever. And after Josh Beckett won was a game seven of the '03 World Series, they oh, were yeah. like, "Hey, Josh, uh, you know, would you be interested in, in donating your cleats?" Uh, to the Hall of Fame, and he like threw a fit. He was like, "Can you let me just enjoy this before you come and like steal all my stuff?" And like, like went <laughs> like like embarrassing nuts. And and ultimately, like Josh Beckett's dad uh, was was in the locker room and and told my buddy like, "All right, Hank, give me a second. And he pulled he pulled Josh Beckett over basically by the ear, 
and and chewed him out for about a minute and a half. And when Josh Beckett came back, he was like, "I'm sorry for my outburst, sir. Uh, I would like to give you my cleats." <laughs> and like, sir, you, you you got a sir. <laughs> he, he backtracked big time. I love that. That is that is phenomenal. Oh man! All right, bud. Um, so you're originally from Texas, right? That's a real weird story. I'm, I was born in England, uh, but... This but man I, is I, like Shrek. He has layers. Continue. <laughs> I consider myself... We moved to we moved to Houston before I went into high school. Okay. Uh, and so, you know, that's where I went on my... Houston's where I went on my first date. It's where I learned how to drive. Like, I've... I've but So I, I consider sort of Houston kind of where I grew up. I see. See, I'm originally from Mobile, Alabama. And then I lived okay. in, uh, my mom remarried. We relocated to rural Mississippi. I went from Mobile off of DIP, Dolphin Island Parkway, to Dirt Road, Mississippi for about a year and a half. Then the West Bank of New <laughs> Orleans. Uh, um, and then outside of Baton Rouge. And then Central Illinois for six years. And then back down to Louisiana, Whoa. over to Alabama again. I've lived in Texas as well. I worked in Beaumont for two years. So I've, I've been all over uh, the place. So, okay, so you grew up in, you, you were born in England. Did you grow up in England until when? Uh, we were like two, uh, or I was two when when my mom and dad moved. My dad's, my dad's like six foot two, like 280 from Lubbock, and my mom's like five foot nothing with red hair with an English accent. Um, <laughs> and so, nice. and so we, moved, we moved back to the States right around the time I turned two. So I've always told him, I was like, you know, dating would have been a whole lot easier for me in, in high school and college if you'd let me get an English accent. Like, I wouldn't have had nearly the problems <laughs> I had. Like, I could still be overweight, but I've got an accent, so that that negates the overweight Boom. part. So, so Yes, yeah, yes. So yeah, yeah. And, and, and you're not wrong because I've known guys, I, I, I worked with a, a, a few ladies and in, in, in my younger years, and they she dated someone from uh, England. And I was like, okay. And then he came, and he was short and pudgy. And I was like, really? <laughs> I was like, really? But but yeah. the girl, the 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 young lady from um, you know Louisiana, the Mississippi Louisiana border, uh, just was enchanted by the um, the the Englishman. It's the it's the accent, and so I got screwed out of that. Um, yeah. So. <laughs> when did you first fall in love with baseball, bud? I mean, I was. So I was a. Uh, I've always been interested in history, uh, and so for anyone who who likes sports but also enjoys the historical component of it, you know, baseball's baseball's the thing. Uh, and so you know, I, I went to my first baseball game. My first day, you, you'll appreciate this. Uh, my dad's a preacher, and so we kind of moved around. <clears throat> we moved around a, a fair bit. My first baseball game was at Fulton County Stadium. Oh, nice. Uh, and so, and I was like five or six. And so, you know, the earliest ballpark memory I have is, is Fulton County Stadium. Um, and so it was, it was probably middle school when I was like, okay, yeah, baseball's cool. But it wasn't until, and then, you know, when I'm in high school, I'm, I'm looking at Jackie Robinson and Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig and, you know, some of the, some of the greats that, that played just, you know, mainly is, is for the historical component as well. Um, and so, you know, it was, it was once I got old enough to, it wasn't, once I got out of the, whoa, Jeff Bagwell stands weird, like stage, then, then that's when, you know, it was, it was with the Astros that I fell in love with baseball. For me, I never went to Fulton County. We, we just never could afford to go to a sporting event like that. Or, you know, mm -hmm. we, we'd always listen to it. I grew up listening, uh, with my grandfather in the little den area. They, they took this small little house, they converted the carport into a den and he had his little mini radio on the bar, and he would always listen to Braves games. And that was before TBS blew up, and we could watch him all the time. And yeah. But I never was able to go. Like, I was never able to go. I've seen the Braves play three times all on the road. I never able, was never able to go to Fulton County. I never went to Turner Field. Now, I've covered a sporting event at what used to be Turner Field, which is now Georgia Southern. Um, I'm sorry, Georgia State's football facility they took turner field and they converted it into a football stadium and i have yep. uh taken several different pictures with the uh, wall where uh aaron broke babe ruth's record and uh, yep. did i one time do it in the middle of the night and jumped a fence to get there 
possibly <laughs> that may have happened. Um, you know, my favorite player growing up was Dale Murphy. That's that's who I, I wanted. That's who I loved growing up. I wanted to wear number three. I wanted to play right field just like he did. Um, my career was derailed early on. Um, it was during T-ball season, and I loved baseball. That's all I wanted to do was play baseball, like all all boys do, right? We all grow up. We get a glove, and that's that's all we want to do. And I remember my old man, God rest his soul. Um, he, he enjoyed, uh, an adult beverage from time to time, sometimes multiple hours in the day. And he was (laughs) the assistant coach and uh, I played for DIP pharmacy dragons and we had yellow, just ugly, like yellow and green, like old school Reggie Jackson, Oakland A's colors. And yeah, yeah. So I'm there and I'm the starting for baseman because I was one of the tallest kids there. And I could it's T ball and I could just just crush the ball. And I just had it. Just had it. I had I had I had that it. I had the swag as the kids like to say. And it's the final game of the regular season, and I'm in right field and we're just throwing pitch, we're warming up, and my old man thinks it's a brilliant idea. And my old man, by the way, was six foot three, three hundred pounds, worked out with free weights, you know, worked as a, a welder in the shipyard. And he decides that he's going to throw a baseball from left field to me and not alert me to it until the last minute. And, oh, no. Oh, yeah. And your boy did not get his glove up in time. So it, oh. it pelts me in the face. Just put, boom, I'm out. I'm, I'm, just on the, I'm just on the ground. On the ground. And, of course, my old man is like, oh, just you know, rub some dirt on it. Give him some tussin. He'll be fine. You know, or give him a sip of my high life. He'll be great. And I, I, I never could get over my fear of being hit in the face with a baseball. After that, and I, I worked on it for a little while, and I think we we were living in, we were still living in Mobile. My mom had just met my who, who the man who I call my dad. It's technically my stepfather, but I, I refer to him as my my dad. And I was playing for S. Feller Marine, and I'd gotten over the whole. Every time the ball comes at me, I act like John Crook versus Randy Johnson in the All Star Game, right? <laughs> so I, I get over that, and. I, I don't remember exactly the complete story here, James, so you'll have to excuse me. I just remember getting hit in the head on a pitch, and my helmet fell off. It was it was such, it was was such thrown so much that my helmet fell off, and I was like, I'm taking my base. And I remember saying that. I'm taking my base. I was all proud. And I walked, I staggered, apparently, down the third baseline. I thought it was the first baseline. It was the third baseline, <laughs> and I fell down about halfway through, and, of course, my mother is scream, screaming bloody murder. She's coming out of the stands, and I wake up, and there she is, and, they, you know, they put an ice pack on me, and this is well before concussions were a thing. So, yeah, yeah after that, bud, it, it, it was a wrap. I mean, I kept playing, but I was never good enough. The last year I played baseball was my freshman year in high school, and I played on the freshman team, and I didn't play. And we, we, we lost every game as the freshman team, and I still didn't play. And the only time I played was I got into a game. We were on the road, and Coach was, I don't know, he was disgruntled. He was like, I hate my job. He's like, Parch, get in there. And I was like, oh, I'm a pinch runner, because at that time I was actually skinny, and I was somewhat fast. So I got on there, and I'm, I'm the pinch runner. And I, I get to second, and I'm like, yes. And they hit the, the next guy up hits the ball in the gap in right center. And I'm like, I'm going for it. And I just start sprinting from second. I round third. And, Bud, when I tell you that I did my best Pete Rose impression, I did it from about five feet out from home plate. (laughs) James, there wasn't even a throw. Like, there wasn't even a throw because the ball got stuck by the fence line. And... (laughs) The, the coach and my, my coach is like, why did you do that for Parks? And I was like, my mom has to wash wash my jersey tonight. <laughs> the proudest moment of my baseball career, right there, bud. But I mean, I just love the game, man. Of course, I collected cards and uh, I even had a baseball card and comic shop with my parents when we lived in Illinois for about six months, and uh, that was a sound investment to open up a baseball card and comic shop in a town of twenty nine hundred people right before the recession hit. Um, yep. that, that 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 did not work out. That did R and S baseball cards and comics did not last, believe it or not. But um, <laughs> but no, I love I, I I just loved it, man. I just uh, I I just love it. Did you ever daydream as a kid that you you would make it to the big leagues? Like, did you ever allow yourself to dream big and like, hey, it's going to be bottom of the ninth, two outs, runner on second, you know, game seven of the World Series, and I'm going to help the Astros win uh, their first World Championship. You know, I don't I don't think I ever. The the weird thing is that. 
you know, my my baseball career was derailed by a complete lack of talent at any level whatsoever. <laughs> like I wasn't, I I was just terrible. And so <laughs> when I dreamed about, when I was a kid dreaming about the World Series, like I I was the type of kid that I dreamed that I was the 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 journalist. Like I was the the newspaper guy with the fedora and the press card, you know, in the in the band that goes around your hat. And I'm, you know, taking trains to ballparks and I'm, you know, there's bourbon and cigarettes involved with, you know, the, that is, the, I just had such a different, because I knew I wasn't good. Like I knew I didn't have any physical ability whatsoever. Um, but that was just I, like, let's, let's, let's have a different dream about the world series. Uh, so that, that was sort of my sort of upbringing with it, I guess. I like that. I like that. Who was your favorite player growing up? Uh, I mean, Jeff Bagwell. I mean, you can't you can't be a baseball fan in the '90s in Houston uh, and it not be Bagwell. And it wasn't until and I know there's a lot of Biggio fans, uh, which makes perfect sense. I mean, if you if you say that your favorite Astro of all time is Craig Biggio, like you, there's no there's no eyebrow raising, there's no follow up questions. Like, oh yeah, no, I can I can see that. I mean, does it come it down to facial hair, pro or con, when it comes to that? I think it was honestly it was that that was part of it. Like Bagwell was he just he didn't look like he was from Connecticut. Like, he and, and he time, looked he looked was, like at times and stretches in the nineties that he was trying out to be the basis for Stone Temple Pilots. Like I just you know for sure. And and so I think it was the batting stance, I think it was the home run, you know, I think it was it was you know, it was it was everything. It wasn't until I was in college uh, you know, Vigio had that incredible ninety eight, ninety nine, those two seasons. It wasn't until a few years later when, when I kind of started getting into some of the more advanced, you know, metrics and statistics. Like, holy crap, Biggio, that was phenomenal. Like, th- those are those are all-time, like, franchise years that Biggio put up there in the late 90s. Um, but for me, it was it was always just Bagwell. It was, the, it was the goatee. It was the batting stance. It was the home run. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, for me, I, I went from – Murphy was my favorite player, and then when the, they started building those teams, and part of it was the Murphy trade, by the way, that kind of helped get things going. But they had already started bringing up Ron Gant, and then David Justice was added. Uh, we got Terry Pendleton from Cincinnati, and then obviously the, the rotation early on was Glavin, Smoltz, and Steve Avery, not yep. Greg Maddox. Um, you know, for me, and, and then uh, obviously I loved them. My favorite player during that era was Smoltz. I just there was just something about Smoltz that I loved. For, part of it was you could always depend on him in the postseason, where Glavin and Maddox would always falter a little bit in the, in the postseason. Yep. Smoltz seemed to rise to the occasion. Plus, he was really good during the regular season. Plus, he just had a cool name, like he had a Z in his name. And I was like, that's yep. awesome, Smoltz. I was like, yes, get after it. And then of course. Um, don't call me Larry Chipper Jones was obviously one of my favorites too. There in in the nineties, into the two thousands. What was your first game that you attended in person, and do you remember it still like it was yesterday? So, I've got and I've got a, a small question for you here in a second. Um, I love questions. I, the first, I mean, the first game that I distinctly remember was was, you know, in a way that I sat there. I was old enough to sit there and, and just watch the game like I didn't have to be distracted by a mascot or the wave or a hot dog or you know a coke or whatever the first game I remember was it was I want to say it was August uh it was Astros Cardinals it was at the Astrodome and for whatever reason I remember that Andahar Cedeno hit a home run nice. uh, I, I couldn't tell you the score I I, I I could I mean I'm sure I could look it up um thanks to baseball reference and whatnot but uh the internet that was, that was the yeah, that was, I mean, it was, you know, it, we were kind of new to Houston, uh, and it was, it was August in Houston, which you know what that's all about. Oh, and, and you can go in, you, you went inside, and it's the biggest building I've ever been in in my entire life, uh, and it's air-conditioned, and I can sit there and watch a baseball game, and I'm not, I'm not sweating profusely through three shirts. Um, so, so yeah, no, the, the Astros Cardinals, August, like, 94, that's the, I mean, I remember watching like the the Braves Pirates game seven. Uh, oh, Sid Bream, you know, yeah, the the Sid Bream game. I I remember watching that on TV. Like I remember the San Francisco earthquake game. Uh, oh yeah, the, the the very first game that I remember actually being at that the, it was that the random Astros Cardinals game in the middle of the season. First game for me that I ever got to go to 
my grandmother, and we were living in the South in the time, but my grandmother uh, was from, you know, Coney Island. So, and she was very, she loved to travel. So anytime, you know, she always would take me on trips. So like I went to Toronto and I remember thinking as a kid, wow, this is the cleanest city I've ever seen. They just had people <laughs> picking up trash and I eat eggs Benedict. And I was like, this is kind of awesome. Um, went to the hockey museum, even though I, I don't really dig hockey. I respect it. I just never got into it. But, yeah. you know, she would take me on trips like that in Disney World because, you know, my, my, my parents couldn't swing it. I mean, they had too many mouths to feed. So she takes me to Chicago. And I guess I had been maybe 12, probably 12 years old, right in that sweet spot when you really fall in love with baseball, right? You're obsessed with collecting cards and um, and everything like that. And my first game, I, I, I kid you not, was a game at Wrigley Field. And my uncle was a lawyer in the Chicago area. And he had tickets. And they were third base dugout. Like I was sitting right behind the dugout. I leaned forward. I'm touching the top of the dugout. And okay. I thought like that this was the most magical thing that had ever happened to me in my life. And I waited for interviews and, and they had players come out. So we, well, I got to watch BP, the whole experience. Right. And my uncle brought me so I could get some autographs and Mark Grace. I see him come out and he's signing autographs on the first base side. So they have kids on the third base side and kids on the first base side, right? And yep. uh, Andre Dawson comes out. He's playing for him. And I'm like, you know, I always liked how Ryan Sandberg played, even though, he, you know, he wasn't a brave, but I liked how he played. And you like other players from other teams when you're a kid. And uh -huh. I remember, and, and Rhino comes out and he, he jouts out onto the field and he just ignores us. And there's like maybe 12 kids and we're all just got, you know, hats and balls and everything like that and waiting for him to sign. And this cat just ignores us, and like a guy sitting next to us, he leans over, and I can't do a Chicago accent, but he leans over, and he's like, hey, kid, that ain't happening. And I'm like, what? What are you talking about? He goes, unless you got $100, that ain't happening. That bastard no. won't sign for kids. And I was like, no. I was I was crushed, right? I'm, I'm just crushed. The hero of the day, middle reliever Sean Bosky comes up. He sees that there's still some kids there. And he took the time out to sign, and I still have that that blue Chicago Cubs hat with the Red Sea on it, and he signed it. And I still have that hat, and I still remember that, and I kept the scorecard. And for the Cubs that day, starting pitching, Greg Maddox on the bump. Dawson, Sandberg, Grace in the lineup for the Cubbies. They That's played really cool. the Montreal Expos with Marquise Grissom, Delino DeShields, Larry Walker, and Pedro. And I still have the scorecard from that. And it went, James, I'm not kidding you, 18 innings. It was an 18-inning game that began in the day, and they, they killed it. They already had the lights then at that time at Wrigley. 18-inning game. I went to another game the next day. He took me to two games, and they played the Mets. I can't tell you a single thing from the Mets game. <laughs> Not one thing. I don't remember a player. I don't remember if it rained. I don't remember if a chili dog was thrown at me and hit me in the back of the head. I can't tell you anything, but I remember my first Major League Baseball game in that detail, and I tell people all the time, I've seen games in Anaheim, of all places. I went to see a buddy who was in Hollywood as a production intern one summer. I've been to both Old Bush and New Bush Stadium in St. Louis. I've been to Wrigley a bunch of times since then. I've been to Rangers games at the old uh, at the old place, which didn't need to be uh, abandoned, and they built a Costco right. instead. I'm not for sure what happened there. And then I've been to uh, the Astrodome and, and Minute Maid as well. But I still remember that like it was yesterday, man. Like it's just 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 there. It's just one of those memories that I'll never forget. I'll never forget Sandberg just brushing me off like we were nothing. And then Sean Bosky, shout out to him. I hope he's listening, Sean Bosky. Thank you. Yeah, no, no kidding. You created memories there. So I've I've been, I've been to Wrigley a couple times, but the the most recent time, uh, it was part of one of those Great American Road Trip uh, stories. Oh, nice. Uh, I had a I had a buddy in college that that his gig uh, to make some money on the side was that he would he would he would go to the computer lab in our dorm every Saturday morning. And he worked with a ticket broker in Austin. Now, I went to school in Abilene. So, but he'd, he'd be communicating with this guy, and this guy would give him a list of concert tickets to buy or sporting events or whatever. 
Uh, and he would he'd log into the computer lab and he would spend all morning, you know, buying concert tickets and then he would sell them to the ticket broker for ten dollars over whatever he paid. So by the time this dude graduated from college, like he had like the platinum mile card from like Delta, the credit card, just because like he was spending so much money but paying it off, you know, every single month. So they they freaking loved it. Well, as Ticketmaster does, they screwed up one time. No, you don't mean. Yeah. And so uh, (laughs) he goes, he he comes to me and he's like, he's like, hey, what are you doing the Tuesday after finals are over? I was like, probably nothing. He's like, nope, change of plans. We're going to Chicago uh, because Ticketmaster screwed up and I've got free tickets to the U2 concert. Uh, And I'm, I'm a big, I'm a big U2 fan. Well, we're in Abilene. And and we got to get to Chicago, and but we have to do it as cheaply as possible. So we end up driving like 400 miles out of the way just so we can stay with people and not have to get a hotel. And so we drive to Nashville because I have a cousin that lives there, and then we drive to Indiana, and I knew people that lived there. We we got the hotel in Chicago, and we we go to the concert, and it's 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 a predictably amazing concert, and. We get back to the hotel, we're watching SportsCenter, and we see that Sammy Sosa had just hit his 399th career home run. And so we, we pull up the schedule, and they are playing the next night uh, at Wrigley against the Houston Astros. And my buddy was from – he's from Houston as well. Uh, he's like, dude, we got to go. I was like, you're, you're right, we got to go. And so we get bleacher seats. and Jose Oh, Lima's the bleacher seats are the fly. best. Yeah, Jose Lima's shagging fly balls before the game. And we stand up and we're yelling, Lima time and all that stuff. And he turns around and he looks and he squints and he finds us. And we're like, we're the two dudes in Astros hats and like, you know, Astros shirts. And he goes, and he yells in like his accent. He's like, you're wearing Astros stuff in the bleachers at Wrigley Field. You're going to get your asses kicked. And, and of course we cheered and clapped. uh, And then we're like, oh yeah, we, we might, that might actually happen. So we see Sammy Sosa hit his 400th career home run. Uh, He hits that night. And so we, we, we get in the car, we can't stay in the hotel another night, and we go to the ATM, and he's like, how much money do you have? And I, I do the, you know, the balance, you know, inquiry or whatever. I was like, oh, crap, I've got $20. And he's like, I've got 30 <clears throat> He's like, I don't know that we can make it back to, back to Texas. And so we're sitting there trying to figure out what to do. He's like, I've got an idea. And so we drive to a riverboat casino in Joliet, Illinois. And, and basically I pull out 10 bucks and we, we leave ourselves like $10 each. And within 15 minutes, we turned our like 40 bucks into $175, uh, on blackjack. And we got out of there and drove back to Texas. You know, Joliet is always uh, lovely any time of the year, especially the prison there, bud. Um, yeah. (laughs) Riverboat Casino bailed us out. Oh, a lot of people have not been bailed out there. Uh, that's a side story for another day. So, so, um, I, I have to ask, man, how did you get the job in Cooper's? How does that happen? Because I only know you as co-host of Lima Time Time Podcast and a molder of young minds in, yeah. in, in the school system there in Texas. Uh, how, does, how does my man work in Cooperstown for like three years? How did that happen? So I was a history major in college. And when I graduated, you know, there's only a few things you can do with a history degree. I have one. Uh, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, there's only a few, a few things you can do in the field with a history degree. Uh, you can teach, you can go to law school, or you can go in museums. And, and so I went the museums route. And so I worked uh, at a museum in Nashville right after I graduated. I moved back to Abilene uh, to marry my girlfriend, and we're still married. Um and, and I worked at this museum in Abilene, but at the same, I went to grad school uh, at, at OU uh, and got a master's in museum studies. And so that was really that was really it because it was an education position uh, that was open, and I had a, a background in history, but I was a, a secondary education minor, and I had a I had a museum studies background. So that's pretty much that's pretty much how that happened. And I think we would have stayed longer. My wife's from Houston as well. And, you know, the first winter in Cooperstown, we were like, this is cute. It's like living in a snow globe. Uh, and then the second winter, we were like, holy crap, it snows literally all the time. And the third winter, I had to shovel the roof to keep it from caving in under the weight of all the snow. And, and I fell off. I fell off the, the top of a three-story house and did not get hurt because I landed in a snowbank that was like eight feet tall. 
Uh, and so it, at that point, <laughs> my brother lived up there. My brother was in the military, and he uh, the first place that he was stationed out of was Fort Drum, and yep. and then and then he moved from Fort Drum down to Fort Hood, got married, moved to Fort Hood, was there for a little while, and then moved back up to Fort Drum. And man, he he now lives in Tennessee. He's like, man, we, we thought we could handle the snow and in the cold, and it it, it was just too much. <laughs> it was it just it was, it was just too much. When we had this winter freeze, you know, this winter storm that <clears throat> that hit back in February, um, you know, I was like, we were, we're texting people and making sure they're okay, and they're like, I just need this to melt. I'm like, bro, imagine this falls in, like, October, and you know you're not going to see the ground again until May. Like, that's what that's what it was like. And we were like, and we joke, and it's not even really a joke, but, like, summer in Cooperstown is absolutely freaking gorgeous. Uh, I went to a minor league baseball game in Oneonta and needed a sweatshirt in August. Uh, summer in Cooperstown is, is wonderful. It's the other 49 weeks of the year that will grind your soul down to a nub. And so we, we, we took off. Like, we just couldn't – it was expensive, and, you know, it, it's a museum. I mean, it's a, it's a famous museum, but it's – you're not going to get rich, you know, unless you're in sort of that upper management, and that wasn't going to happen in Cooperstown. So so we after, – after three winters, we – we moved on and, and we moved to Nashville. Uh, and after about five years of the museum there, I was like, I, I need to do something that actually feels like it matters. So that's when I started teaching high school. I love museums, so they do matter to me, bud. No, I mean, the, the, so I worked at, I was the education director at Andrew Jackson's presidential site. And um, so, you know, all day, you know, the, the fun stories are the ones where he like, you know, he killed a guy. Uh, you know, that, let's talk about, you know, the War of 1812, but most of it was let's talk about how the Indian Removal Act happened, and let's talk about slavery on the plantation. And it was just, it was just such a grind. I just, I just couldn't, I couldn't do it anymore. Oh, old Hickory, he was a character. So, I'll, it's so funny that you and I have such similar interests. So, okay, you decide to come back and you're like, you know, I want to be in teaching, so you get into teaching. So there you are. You move back to Texas. You're in, you're you're doing the teaching thing. How in the hell did you get hooked up with your boy, Pat? Okay, <clears throat> that's a that's a funny story. Um, so I had this blog, and, and I I recently shut it down. I had it for for about twelve, a little over, uh, yeah, twelve years, just over twelve years. And it was called Astros County, and I actually started it when we were in Cooperstown because it just sort of gave me something, you know, from home. Yeah, I guess you know from Texas to to think about, uh, and 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 that's that's really kind of where that's where the Chronicle thing came from. You know, basically the only reason that anyone knows that I exist at all is because of this blog. Um, and so the you know the the, the blog happened, and you know I, I get on Twitter, and and Pat and I you know start you know we just kind of started talking on Twitter, and eventually I guess it was 2016. We were like, you know, we just made the playoffs. We, of course, because Pat and I were in the lineup. Um, you know, the Astros just made the playoffs. I, lo- I, lo- I, lo- I love when you're a baseball fan, you refer to yourself as as if you're a member of the team. You know, we made the playoffs that year. We, yeah, we. And then, uh, no, I didn't bang any trash cans. No, that's not we. That's not we in this situation right now. Um, <laughs> so, we, you know, we, we were like, let's, let's start a podcast. And... And it, it just sort of is, I, I don't know how, but it's just something that we've done now for, for going on five years, and we're going to record here in a little bit, like the next episode tonight. Uh, he's a character, um, stand-up comedian, um, has a great sense of humor. And the funny thing is, is that you and I got connected because Pat couldn't wake up, is, is basically what it boils down to. Because That's why we didn't record last night. <laughs> so so I, inherited, uh, I inherited Pat as a guest. When I when I joined here with my first show, which was the, just called the Rap Game, it was on nine to eleven, and the guy that I took the show from, uh, the time slot fund, he was he was moving back to Pittsburgh. He's like, look, I got this great guy, yeah, you know, he's part of this podcast, the Lima Time Tom podcast. You got to hit him up, you got to use him. And I was like, yeah. And me and Pat were trying to feel each other, and you know, the, the, it, 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 it was a learning curve with Pat. 
Right, right. And it was and we were trying to figure out each other, but then we couldn't it, we, we just couldn't things got disjointed. I, we were supposed to do a live broadcast over in, in in Houston for a game that I came over for with you guys and then the equipment broke and I had to do my show through my iPad and it was an absolute train wreck. But we could never kind of get on the same page and then my producer at the time he's like, "Well, you know, when Pat's not, you know, available is the way he described it." He's like we use the other guy from the podcast, and I was like, and I was like, I'm not going. I'm going to be honest with you, James. I was like, oh, really? And they're like, and, and I'm like, and he's like, yeah, he'll he'll be. He's good. He's good though. And he goes, he goes. I actually think you and him will click a little bit better. And I said, uh, okay. And sure enough, man, brought you on, and like the humor just hit. And it's just so weird how that happens. That I took over a time slot on a radio station over here on a sports talk station, and the guy that they gave me. It, we just really didn't connect it as as well as we thought we were, and then because he overslept a few times, we reached out to you, and then you simply replaced Pat. And I've been talking to you essentially every week for two years. Yeah, no, I I, I love it, and you know I was trying to explain because yeah, it was uh, Alan, right? Alan Michael. Yeah, that's right, Alan Michael. He was great. Uh, like we're we still like check in every now and then, like just kind of see how each other's doing. Um, but I remember when I. The, the, one of the first times that, because I was on Alan's show kind of regular, somewhat sort of the same deal when Pat wasn't available. And when it became kind of a regular thing, I explained to my wife, I was like, hey, uh, here at like 730, I've got to get to school early, you know, because I've got a, a meeting. And eventually she was like, she's, I, I said it in a way that sounded suspicious, I guess. And she was like, what meeting? And... <laughs> And I was like, oh, okay, this is, this is, we, I'm on the radio in, in Lafayette, Louisiana. And she was like, why? I was like, that's a really good question. I don't know that I can answer. I don't, I don't know what the answer to that is. That's because, uh, that's because, Mrs. Yasko, we are a Houston Astros affiliate. You're home for Houston Astros baseball in Acadiana. Yeah. And she was like, oh, oh, okay. And now it's just one of those things where she's like, oh, okay, you've got to run to the car for a few minutes uh, and, and be on the radio. And now my daughter has been like, my daddy's on the radio. And and so it's, yeah, it's, it's I, I, the, the stuff that that has come up because of having this, this one blog and, and all of the things that have happened and the sort of experiences that come with it, it's, it's really been incredible it's crazy how life works though right like you and what paths you take and and what leads you down a road look i studied broadcasting in central illinois in central illinois at a junior college for two years got a radio job lost it after a month because they sold the station and fired everyone one monday (laughs) and then i worked at a country station in a brick ranch style house in paris illinois and they brought in some hot shot from st louis after a month and he said raymond i'm gonna take away your saturday shift and i'm gonna put you on uh, I'm going to put you on call, so I don't want you to work anything over the weekend. And 19-year-old Raymond gave him the one-finger salute, but twice, and I was out. And that was the end of my radio career. Like, it ended literally the summer after graduating with an associate's degree in broadcasting, and I never thought in a million years that I would be doing this again. And then, sure enough, I come back in here, I'm freelancing, I'm covering the Raging Cajuns, and I run into one of the radio guys at a, a game, and he's like, hey, man, would you want to be on my show? And I said, sure. I was like, what the hell? Whatever. I'll do it. You know, and that led to then being on other shows. And then that led to, hey, uh, we need a guest host this week. Do you want to do it? Uh, Okay. And then that led to, hey, Alan Michael's leaving. He thinks you'd be great in that 9-11 spot. And I'm like, okay. And then six months later, they came to me and they're like, we would like you to run our station and uh, write a bunch of stuff for the website. And I'm like, okay. Like, never in a million years, man. Like, just never in a million. People go, what's it like talking sports? It's like. It's like what I do normally, but yet I'm being paid to do it on the air, and people enjoy it, which is still mind-just-blowing to me that people <laughs> enjoy me on the radio. Like, I just can't get over that. So my my little career in museums, you know, however short-lived it was, like, I, I when I graduated from college, I moved – the Tuesday after graduation, I put everything I owned into a, into a Honda Civic hatchback, which is really depressing to kind of think about now. Uh <laughs> <laughs> and, and I drove. I drove to Nashville, and because my cousin needed a roommate, uh, and so I started looking for a job. And I worked at Godiva Chocolate, you know, for for a little bit. And I became like a part time tour guide at this really small museum. Um, and then it's kind of like what you described. Like the the responsibilities grew, and it became kind of a full time position. Uh, 
And then I was, you know, my, my girlfriend waited until I moved to Nashville to decide that we should actually be together. And so, she, you know, I, I started making plans to move back to Abilene and I call a guy at about an apartment and we're talking about it. And he goes, he goes, Hey, uh, he goes, this is going to be weird, but, but I went to, I went to Vanderbilt. So I know that 615 is a uh, 615 area code, Nashville. Um, what are you, are you in Nashville? I was like, yeah, I'm in Nashville. You know, I'm going to go, you know, I can come back and, you know, my girlfriend and I are going to get married. Fiance or I are going to get married. He's like, what do you do? I was like, I work at a museum. He's like, that's crazy. I'm on the board of directors with the biggest museum in Abilene. Um, what do you, would you want to do that? Do you have a job lined up? I'm like, no. And it turns out that he basically tells the director of the museum, like, give this guy an interview. And that's where I, I caught on and end up going to grad school. And that's what leads to the hall of fame. And, and it's, it's, it's it's, it, it, it's absolutely bizarre. I got into the newspaper business. So here I am, a junior college grad who doesn't have a radio job. I have a degree that's not helping me with anything. I go back another semester to work for the school newspaper, which was essentially a monthly, and I just traded free ads to the local Domino's so I could eat when I'm putting out the paper. And <laughs> I, 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 I move. I go to South Alabama in Mobile. I reconnect with my old man and my grandparents. I go to South Alabama for a semester. It doesn't work out. I wasn't ready for college. And then I, I, I just land. I, I did concert reviews. I remember uh, like reviewing, going to see like Godsmack, playing Pensacola and Lenny Kravitz. And uh, <laughs> I, I went. Uh, I, I will admit that I enjoyed watching uh, Stained, uh, Kid Rock, and Limp Biscuit perform in the Biloxi Gulf Coast Coliseum. My cousin had his nose broken because he wore khakis and a tucked-in polo shirt. So, moving on, that's a story for another day. So, <laughs> I got some good stories from concerts. So, but I, I just I, I I apply for this job. I'm not I'm not lying, and I apply for this job at the Town Talk in Alexandria. It's a little newspaper there, and it's little now because of the newspaper industry. But so I apply for a page designer job. It's the, the it's the low level job. You just laying out the paper, you're writing headlines, and that's it. And it came down between me. One other guy and a guy that turned in his, his resume on a loose-leaf paper. I'm not making that up. And <laughs> they say, hey, Ray, we're going to call you regardless of what decision we'll make. We're going to let you know. And I said, great. And at this time, I'm growing out my hair. And uh, it would get to the point where I looked like fat Steven Seagal or just Steven Seagal, however you want to view it. So – and I got three earrings, and I'm driving around in a 77 Thunderbird, and I'm hanging out with my friends, my inner circle, or people that are passing out on the hood of my 77 Thunderbird at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and they don't have jobs because they got their license pulled. So, you know, I'm, I'm living a, a certain lifestyle at this time. So I, I don't get the job. And I call back like two weeks later, and they're like, oh, no, no one told you? And I was like, peace out. I'm done, right? So three months goes by. And they, or four months goes by rather, and one of the people was retiring and they didn't want to advertise for the job, James. So they decided they wanted to call me and I didn't answer the phone. And then they sent me an email. Hey, are you still interested? Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, delete. I'm out getting a part for my car and they called the house and my mom answered because I was living with my folks at the time. And uh -huh. then she calls my dad because my dad was the only one that had a cell phone at this time. She calls my yeah. dad, put your son on the phone. I'm like, oh, I'll go, yeah, what, what? Um, So-and-so from the town talk called. Uh, they have a job for you. It has benefits and insurance, son. And I told them that you'd be there tomorrow to finish out filling out the paperwork. <laughs> Done. And that's how I got working in sports journalism for 20 years. It's just it's crazy. Like, if my mom hadn't answered the phone that day, they would have went another direction. It's just, yeah. it's just uh, bananas. Let me ask you something. You're a family man. Is it hard? Because I, I find it's not that it's a struggle now. And I, my daughter's six uh, right now. I'm recording this podcast while she's getting her photos taken for her dance recital coming up in next month. Yep. It's fandom. Your, your fandom. It has to be put on the back burner, right, when you're a family man. And I, I struggled with it at first, and then all of a sudden the light bulb went off, and I was like, nah, this this is more important. How do you balance? How do you balance being a baseball guy, a diehard sports fan, and trying to – you have to find time to be a sports fan these days. At least I find it that way, James, and I'm intrigued if you feel the same way. Yeah. <clears throat> um, 
you know, there, I, you, I work around it. You know, when I had the blog, uh, I'd get up super, I get up super early anyway, but I, I would get up super early in the morning and do that day's post and, and, and whatnot, you know, before anybody else in the house woke up. So I'd sort of, and at one point when I first started it, uh, I had like a PlayStation two and, and my wife was fine with that. You know, she, we weren't the type that we'd sit there and play video games together, but she understood that I'd wake up early and, and play NCAA college football, you know, 07 or what, you know, 06, whatever it was. Oh, back in the day um, I was playing manhunt. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. you know, I, I went through my golden eye phase, uh, and of moved course. on to, you know, I'd take middle Tennessee state and turn them into a national powerhouse and all of that good stuff. Take two lane, uh, get them into the sec, boot out Kentucky, win a national championship. Yeah. I, I, I remember. Yeah. So at one point my wife was like, all right, you can either play video games or you can do this blog. She's like, but you've got to pick one. She's like, I'm not going to let you, you cannot do both. And, and I chose the blog and I think that worked out in the long run. Um, and so, you know, having a kid, I remember the, the night my daughter was born, it was the, it was, it was Jose Altuve's first all-star game. Uh, and oh, that's we're in cool. the hospital. We're in the hospital and like, we've been there since two o'clock in the afternoon and it's getting to be about seven, seven thirty at night. Like nothing's happening. Like I was, I was dumb enough to think that once your water broke, like a baby's going to come out within a second. Uh, and so, like you know, we're driving in Nashville, and I'm like driving on the shoulder of I-40, trying to get to the, trying to get to the hospital. And um, I found out, very, you know, it didn't take long for me to realize, like that's not the case. Like this, this a whole process that I'm not even aware of. Um, and so, like, it's, it's going to be, like, 7, 7.30 at night, and we have a TV in there. And she's doing her breathing exercises. Her mom's there. She flew up because, you know, she knew about when it was going to happen. And they're sitting there, and they're just kind of talking, and she's just sort of breathing. And I'm like, hey, there's not a whole lot happening here. Can I put on the All-Star game? And and the look that I got from my beloved wife and the mother of my child and her mother <laughs> let me know that, no, uh, I, could not, I could not watch the All-Star game. Oh, bud. Um, oh, bud. Yeah. And so, you know, the first the first few nights, you know, nice. the first few years, you know, she's little, you know, she goes to bed, she sleeps a lot. Um, you know, so you can you can watch the Astros game. What really put it, and I think what ultimately led to the end of this, this blog, uh, was just the events of the last year. And with not just the pandemic, but with social unrest, I'm like, this doesn't really matter. I mean, uh, you know, it, I, I, there, people like it, but, and, and the way that I put it was like, I don't, you know, I, I had a source in the front office that he never told me anything anyway, and he doesn't even work there anymore. Uh, so, like, it's not like I have any unique insight as far as what what's going on with the team. Like, I, I, I just need to reevaluate and reprioritize. Uh, and, and occasionally that means, yeah, I'm going to watch an Astros game from, from start to finish because that's just what my day allows. And other times I'm going to just check the box score or I'll check Twitter a few times during the evening and just kind of see what's going on. If there's an easy joke I can make on Twitter and, uh, and just sort of go about my, so yeah, there's been a reprioritization, but I don't, I mean, yes, family has a lot to do with it, but I think every day you sort of reprioritize and you take care of what needs to happen that day. That's correct. Uh, And so there's, there's not a, you know, there's not, and I'm lucky enough to have a, a very loving, supporting wife, and we'll have been married like 18 years this summer. Um, that that you just sort of like, okay, this this cannot be my priority right now. Uh, so I'm gonna, uh, this is my priority right now, or this is my priority today. So I just, I, I don't know that it's, it's family that changed that, but I I think it's it's having a support system that sort of understands like, no, I, I kind of want to watch the Astros game tonight, uh, and knowing that that the next night that might not happen. It's well said, and, and and it's and it's all about just putting priorities. Is is it is it worth watching? You know, is it worth making sure that I tune in to watch Ronald Acuna do something that he does, which is sensational, or can I just watch the highlights later and instead spend time with my daughter? You know, it's yeah. just it's just it's just little things like that, and he just it, it wasn't. I struggled with how easy it was, if that makes any sense, like. I just struggled because I thought it was going to be more difficult after my daughter was born. Because I remember my wife tells this story all the time where I told her like a week before she was due, I nearly went to go cover because I was the Lamar beat writer there for the Beaumont Enterprise. 
and they were playing at Texas A&M, and it was a bucket list. I always wanted to go to College Station. And yeah. my wife and I was like, yeah, I probably shouldn't go. And my wife looked at me and says, yeah, you think you shouldn't go the week before I'm, I'm due with our child? And I said, yeah, yeah, you're right. But I remember telling her, like I had in our apartment in Beaumont, I had a little room set up with my game system, right? And I was like, yeah. I'm still play video games. I'm still going to go golf and blah, blah, blah. And I never did any of that stuff, bud. Like I, and the, the game system's gone. Uh, I, you know, it just – it just changes, and I just I just find it interesting. All right, buddy, we'll wrap it up with this because I've mani- uh, manipulated your time uh, uh, too much as it is. Now that restrictions are being kind of taken back, and Texas was one of the first states there to kind of do it, are you going to be comfortable now taking the family or just you know going with Pat and going to an Astros game in person? Are you there yet? I'm getting there. Uh, I got my second shot. Um, almost six weeks ago. Um, so, you know, I can lick all the doorknobs I want. Like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm good. Um, my, my wife will be two weeks past her second shot on Friday, and, of course, you can't get kids vaccinated yet. So will I take the family? I don't know about that. But would if, if I have the opportunity, and I live about three, three and a half hours from Houston, if I have the opportunity to go to a game, will I? Like, yeah, yeah I'd, I'd like to. Um, but, again, the priority, I'm not going to pay – you know, four hundred dollars to go sit. No. You know, no. In in the Crawford boxes to to watch. You know, the Astros Twins. Like I'm not. I don't. So it, it sort of depends on. It's, it's that whole reprioritization. I wouldn't do that either, James, because I hate the Twins because of Kent Herbeck pulling Ron Gann off first base in the World Series, and I forever hate him now. So, yeah. um, and even though he's, I, I, is is he dead? Maybe I don't know. I'm not for sure. Um, I don't think. You know what? you say? I don't think Ken Herbeck's dead, but I found my, I found myself like I have a whole list of people that I, I that when I found out they died, that I was like, didn't they die like six years ago? Like, hadn't that, hadn't that already happened? Like when, when Walter Mond- when they were like Walter Mondale died, I'm like, didn't that happen like fifteen, twenty years ago? I like, feel I like I learned about that in school that he died, but no, I guess not. Um, yeah. No, but I agree with you too, and and uh, I, I'm I'm going to make the trip because I've come up with an ambitious, ridiculous thing where. I'm going in a few weeks. Me and a few buddies of mine are going to Jackson, Mississippi to see the Mississippi Braves play because I went, when I went to go cover the Sunbelt Conference tournament uh, earlier this year in Pensacola, a buddy of mine that I used to work with, he actually got us a behind the scenes tour of the Pensacola Blue Wahoos Stadium. And it's yep. beautiful. And this idea started just taking root in my brain. And I was like, I wonder if this summer I could go to every minor league ballpark in the Southern League. And I'm like, ooh. That's cool. And I'm like, Pensacola, Biloxi, Jackson, those are all doable. I go, yeah. Uh, SEC Media Days is going to be back in Hoover. I can check out a Birmingham Barons game, uh, the the team in Hunts, or the Montgomery Biscuits. Then there's the Rocket City Trash Pandas. Shout out to them uh, for that <laughs> name. But then – the damn Tennessee teams are going to throw me off because I got to figure out how to get to Chattanooga and Nashville, and I just don't know if I can do it. But, but it's just you know I, I'm ready for it. I've been I got my second shot as well. My wife and I both now are are fully vaccinated, and and so is everyone kind of in our immediate circle. But I, I I'm excited about going to see a game in person. Um, but I'm not going to lie to you, but I'm nervous even now, yeah, which is not- weird. There's there's a certain PTSD that comes with living, and I was telling my students this because we we got the state standardized test coming up, so we've been reviewing everything, and you know we were we were talking about the the Roaring Twenties, and why you know it's the Jazz Age and it's flappers and it's speakeasies and and it's all this and, like, and it's Fitzgerald, the, yeah, yeah. Why did the 1920s just pop off the way that they did? And I it was it wasn't until this last year that I fully understood. That if you didn't die in World War One, and you didn't die in the Spanish flu pandemic, like you were ready to freaking party. Like you know, it, it makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense now. It does. Uh, and so, but but I think there's a there's a certain amount of PTSD that's come from the last year. You know that you think about. You know we weren't sure if, if you had to, you know, wipe down your groceries when you got back from the store if you could find toilet paper. Um, you know to to, okay, there's this new wave and it's a new spike, and why are we relaxing regulations now? And it's just sort of, it's been a really hard year, and it's going to take a while to to feel. And, and I, honest to God, like, I this is the first year, the first winter that I have not gotten sick. 
Like I didn't get the flu. I didn't, you know, I, 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 I didn't, I didn't get anything. Like I might wear, I'm not going to be a forever master. Like I won't wear a mask forever, but if I'm on a school bus going to a soccer game in South Dallas, I'm going to wear a mask on the bus because I've got 26 kids behind me. Uh, that, and it, it, it's all, you know, all the windows are closed because it's cold outside. Like I'm, I'm going to take some, I'm going to take some lessons from this, but it's going to take a while to get used to normalcy, I guess. Man, this was great, man. We should do this more often. Man, I should, you know, I should probably try to talk to you more often, maybe like Fridays at, you know, seven o'clock central. Seven o'clock. I'm free. I'm free then. <laughs> uh, James, man, appreciate your time as always. Yeah, continue killing it with the pod that you do with Pat, man, the Lima Time Time podcast. It's one of my favorite podcasts to check out. And uh, tell the people uh, that are listening to the Rap Game podcast where they can go find that bad boy and when the uh, latest episode is going to drop for them to digest. James, appreciate your time as always, brother. This was tremendous, man. Have a good one. Appreciate it. That's going to do it for this episode of the Rap Game Podcast. If you missed any previous episodes, just go to 1037thegame.com. Click on the Rap Game Podcast tab, and you can listen to all the previous episodes at your leisure. Until next time, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. I'll talk to you soon.